Hey, let's, let's pause and pray together and just celebrate th this new birth. Father, I just, uh, man, we just celebrate what you're doing in Lauren's life and, and how you can use uh, people like Katie just to be a part of that process of transformation. So, Father, we, we know that you are alive and well, that you continue to impact people, uh, and today is just evidence of that. So, Father, we give you all the glory and all the praise and all the honor. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I, I love stories like that on how God has changed people's lives and continually changes people's life. You know, the stories are, are often like, here's who I was before Jesus. And then this is how Jesus changed me. And this is how God uh, used people in my life to transform me. And now this is my life since then. You know, we, we, we call that our testimony and what God has done. And as believers, we, we can tell our story in those three or four different parts. You know, who I was before, how God changed me, and where I'm at now. Well, this morning we're continuing our sermon series called Faith During Faithlessness. As we look at some key parts in 2 Corinthians, or excuse me, 2 Kings. And this morning, we want to look at one of those stories of transformation pulled right out of this Old Testament book. We're, we're going to look at a man named Naaman and the change that took place in his life and how God brought certain people into his life, intersected his path to bring about just this miracle of a changed life and ultimately the ministry that Naaman went on to have. It's a story of healing, it's a story of conversion, it's a story of transformation, and ultimately a story of ongoing impact for God's glory. And it's a story that reminds us and points us to the ultimate healer, and that's Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles with you today, let me invite you to turn to the book of 2 Kings chapter 5 or open up your phone. And we're going to look at um, the scripture together as we follow Naaman's story through 2 Kings chapter 5. So we begin in verse 1. And it says, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. So, Naaman, who, who was this man? Who, who was he? What kind of background did he have? Well, it tells us that he was a great man. He, he was a commander. He was a general. He was highly regarded by his people, and he was valiant. You know, Naaman was an A-list kind of guy. He was a mover and shaker in his world, and if you needed to get a job done, Naaman was your go-to guy, because he could take care of it. If you needed a nation conquered, needed a squash and uprising, need to silence some rebels, then send in the Naamanator. You know, he's the guy to get the job done. Well, he was a great man, but he also had a great need. Because it tells us that he had leprosy. And that, that's just, a, in the Bible, when you read that word, it just means that he had some type of visible skin disease, something that made him stand out. It was a noticeable skin defect. 
So having that really made him a double outsider in Jewish minds. One, he was, he was a Gentile, which just meant a foreigner. He was from, he was an Aramean or a Syrian, the same place, just two different names. But he also had this leprosy, he had the skin disease, which made him ceremonially unclean in the Jewish mindset. So he was an outsider, and he was marked as unclean. So underneath this veneer of awesomeness, underneath the uniform of a general, underneath the power and prestige, there was a sickness. It was this great man. But when the fancy uniforms are taken off, when the rich robes are discarded and laid aside, there was this sick man with leprosy. And when we think about that, we, we can look at ourselves, can't we? When, when we peel back the layer of our lives and to see what's underneath, when, when we stop the pretending, when, when we stop the I'm fine answers to the how are you doing questions, deep down, what, do, what are we left with? We're often hurting, we're struggling. There might be pain there, emotional pain, mental pain, even physical pain. But, you know, so often we present ourselves as valiant. But underneath, we're vulnerable. Valiant on the outside, but on the inside, we just want to be valued. We want to be validated. We project awesomeness, but on the inside, man, we feel awful. Valiant is what might people, what they might see, the, the image that we might portray and project. And now this whole like personal branding, it, it's a thing. You create this image that you want people to see. But underneath that exterior image that people look at and can see lies the, the interior reality. And apart from Jesus, we all have a sickness called sin. Sin that leaves its own mark on us. Sin, sin that's deeper than any skin lesions like, like leprosy. It leaves us marked at the heart level. So really, we're not that much different from a guy like Naaman. You know, we go through life with an image. We, we go through life presenting ourselves one way. We go through life putting band-aids on the skin, but only Jesus can heal our sin within well, that's, that's the man in our story. We want to follow his story to the end because after the man steps into the storyline, the messengers. And this, these people enter into the picture, enter into his story, and God uses three, three key people. And all are critical in his story. All have di different parts to play. And they enter into his, his life at different stages of his spiritual journey. It starts with the slave girl, the servant, who's, who um, is the servant of Naaman's wife. And then in the middle of the story comes Elisha the prophet, who we talked about last week. And then Naaman's pride gets the best of him, so his own servants come in and, and redirect him. And then finally it comes back around to Elisha. Well, he, here's how it unfolds. The, the slave girl begins the journey, begins the story by telling her mistress, Naaman's wife, about the prophet Elisha. Look at verse 2. 
Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master could, would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So she kind of gets the ball rolling and said, Hey, there's this prophet of Israel located living in Samaria. Samaria. He could help you. So then, then the next stage comes along. Enter the prophet Elisha. And he tells Naaman how to actually be cleansed of the skin disease that he has. So we jump down to verse 9 of chapter 5. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored. You will be cleansed. Well, Naaman's this great man, he's a powerful man, he's a general, he's a commander, and he thought, and he thinks to himself, what, go wash in, my, wash in this dirty creek called the Jordan? You know, this, he was looking for something great, he was looking for something, you know, special, some flashing lights, smoke machines, all this stuff to get healed. So he gets a little angry, his, his pride gets up the best of him, and he turns away and starts to head back because he doesn't want anything to do with Elisha's plan and how Elisha says to be healed. Well, enter his own servants, and they kind of redirect him at this point. So verse 13, Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet told you to do some great things, would not have you done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? You know, each of these messengers, whether it's the slave girl, whether it's the prophet Elisha or Naaman's own servants, they could have easily taken a pass at any time during this storyline. They could have ignored his need because after all, he was an outsider, he was a foreigner, he was tagged with this disease. The servant girl, I mean, you think about it, she was a prisoner. She was taken captive, you know, as a slave, as a servant, and she could have said, you know, who cares about this guy that took me captive? Let him rot. You know, let the skin disease get, get a hold of him. Elisha could have said, you know, you're an outsider, you're a foreigner, you're not one of my people. You don't look like me, act like me, dress like me, and by the way, you have leprosy. And he could have said, you're unclean. I don't want anything to do with you. But all of them, they're spiritually sensitive to what's going on. They're aware of his need, and they are in tune with what God can do in this man's life. So they step into his life at the right time, and they pointed him to the living God. You know, there's opportunities in our lives where we can enter into another person's story. You know, we are called to do our part in our time and in the place that God has put us. We can step into people's journeys at, at various places along this discipleship path. You know, for example, you, you might meet somebody who's completely antagonistic to the faith and have the opportunity to kind of share what's the gospel story and on the spiritual re uh, receptivity scale, they might be like a negative five. They don't want anything to do to, with God. But as you work with them, as you have conversations with them, you might have the opportunity to bring them up to maybe a negative two, where they're like, okay, maybe this God thing might be something to consider. 
And God has just brought you into that person's life for that, for that season. Or like Elisha, you might have the opportunity to actually see the decision, see the conversion, to see the life change. Or maybe God brings you into a person's life in that season where you can begin to encourage them to follow Jesus after that initial conversion and initial decision through the transformation, through that discipleship process after the conversion. You know, we all have opportunities to step into people's lives at different places. And every step is vitally important. You know, but, but what do these people have in Naaman's story? What's the common denominator? Well, they all spoke up. They all spoke into his life. And they all continually pointed him to the one true God. They did their part in their time and in their place. So how about you? You know, I mentioned last week that God has called all of us to be transformers and not conformers. That's the underlying theme of this sermon series of faith during faithlessness. It's, e it's easy to conform and not say anything, but God has called us, if we are a Jesus follower, to take those opportunities and speak into people's lives. And to transform people's lives, to be a part of that process, we do need to speak up. We do need to speak out and speak into people's lives. But you know what? Sometimes we just don't feel like it, do we? I get it. Sometimes we don't feel like a spiritual powerhouse and we just want to be left alone. We don't want to go through the, the potential discomfort of speaking up. And there's times where, where you, know, I don't, you know, I don't feel like a pastor. I don't want to talk to people. But, you know, my wife comes along and encourages me, you know, Dave, you really should go talk to that person. And I'm like, no, I don't want to. And she says, Dave, no, it'd be really a good thing to go talk to them. And I always listen to what my wife says. So... We go, and you know what? Inevitably, it ends up, we have this great conversation, you know, and we have an opportunity to connect. You know, it's just being spiritually in tune with those opportunities that come along. So, so there's this man, Naaman, who has these different messengers that come into his life at different points of time, and that leads us to the miracle that takes place. You know, on, on the outside, the, the miracle is simple. You know, we, we see that he's cleansed from this skin disease. Even though pride at first kept, kept him from God's plan, you know, he turned away. He turned away from the opportunity. But that's where his servant stepped in and kind of subtly and tactfully confront his pride and point him back to God's plan. And I love how God uses these, these people of low social position to carry out his plan. You know, two times in this story, servants step in and point him to the living God. And then, then we come to the actual point of healing in his story in verse 14. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. I mean, in one sense, this is just a great picture of baptism. You know, from death to life, from, from outsider to a child of the king, this great symbol of a miracle of, of new birth. But the true miracle, 
wasn't the cleansing from skin disease. The true miracle is what took place on the inside. Because his change went so much deeper than skin level. His change wasn't, his skin wasn't the only thing changed because his heart was changed as well. You know, when, when we see a baptism like Lauren, and, and maybe when, when you yourself were baptized and made that commitment to say, yes, I'm a Jesus follower, that miracle of transformation moves us from death to life. It moves us from, from in, into a relationship with the living God. And what I love about Naaman's story here in the fifth chapter of 2 Kings, it just doesn't stop with his dipping in the Jordan of seven times. You know, it, we could easily put the final period at that point, and it'd be, yeah, it'd be a great story of transformation of how, yeah, he first had some pushback to God's plan, but, but God used these people to get him to the point of actually dipping in the water and following, you know, Elisha's instruction, but it doesn't stop there. And that's what I love about the story, and that's what I love about God's story in our life. It doesn't stop with our point where we say yes to Jesus because it goes on from there, and it brings us to a point of ministry because that miracle that Naaman had in his life both the external cleansing of skin disease, but also the internal cleansing leads to the ministry. So we, we pick up in verse 15, and it says, Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. They go back to Elisha. And he stood before him and he said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. And then the prophet Elisha answers, he says, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, Naaman said, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. See, Na Naaman goes from this miracle to this to ministry with a purpose. Because he says, I now know that there's only one God. And I'm, I'm bringing some of this dirt back with me so, so that I can be reminded of, the, of who I am, I am to worship. Because more significant than his physical miracle that took place was a ministry that was given. So now he's, he's more than just a general more than a commander, more than a valiant man, now he is an ambassador of the true king. See, he left his home in Aram as a general, and he returns as an advocate and missionary for a different king, for the living God. And if we follow Jesus, we too are an ambassador of the king. You know, one of my favorite verses in Scripture is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where it talks about us being, being a new creation. Verse 17, it says, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. But then, like I said, it doesn't stop with that new birth. It goes on in verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Because we are a new creation, because God has made us new, we have a new ministry, we have a new purpose as God's ambassador. 
You know, Naaman goes from new skin to new purpose. What would that look like for you? For, for you, you, you might leave home as, as a student, as a freshman. And what would, it look, what would it look like for you to return as a follower of Jesus? You know, you walk on campus with wide-eyed wonder, and you leave on fire for Jesus. Or what would it look like later in life when, when you leave, leave your home and you, and you go to work? You go to work in IT or a, as a warehouse distributor. You go to work as an agribusiness leader or selling seed. What would it look like if you were a Jesus follower first? A Jesus follower who just happens to work in IT and, or agribusiness or sell seed. See, with following Jesus comes a new purpose of being that ambassador, of being that missionary, of being an advocate for the king. And when the story comes around, it comes back to Elisha at the end. And after it all, Elisha simply says, go in peace. The word peace there is the word shalom, and it, and it means a whole lot more than, than our English understanding of peace. It's more than just a flippant, you know, see you later, bye, have a, have a good life. No, it, it means soundness and body. It means that he is healed. This idea of shalom is inner peace, it's tranquility, it's contentment, but more importantly, it's friendship. When we're talking shalom, he says, you are not, no longer an outsider. Now you have friendship with us, but also a covenant friendship with the living God. And that is a beautiful summary. Those three words go in peace of what God does in our lives. We go from outsider to relationship. For Naaman, he went from leper to loved. He went from general of a king to servant of the king. You know, he arrives a leper and leaves with the peace that only God can give. So Journey, do you see yourself somewhere in Naaman's story? At some point in that storyline, can you pick out where you're at? You know, from need to, to someone talking to you about Jesus, to the miracle of new birth, to a ministry appointing other people to Jesus. Do you see yourself in there, or, may, or are you missing a couple steps in that process? Or maybe you're the messenger, and who could you be talking to? Who could, you, who could you be sharing the gospel story with where we could be that messenger? And when we are that messenger, then you see it kind of comes back around full circle. You know, at Journey, it, it's my passion, it's my heart that we are all about making disciples of Jesus who then go on to make more disciples and more disciples. And at each step along the way, we encounter women and men with a great need called sin. And that as we do, we can do life with them and share the gospel story. We can be those messengers and share what Jesus came to earth to do to restore that relationship with us. And then we get to participate, if, if possible, in this, in this great opportunity to see the miracle of new birth. And then we can encourage them and, and help equip them for ministry a ministry that points those back to those people with great need. And you see how just that cycle continues? When Jesus began his ministry, 
in Luke chapter 4, it records for us where he sits down at the synagogue for the first time. This is following his baptism, following his time of testing and tempting in the wilderness. And in that synagogue, for the first time that he sits down to teach, he, he reads from Isaiah the prophet. And then as he does, he kind of brings it back around and he says, oh, by the way, God only healed one person of leprosy. And, and he says it was Naaman the, the Syrian. And when Jesus said that, the people literally wanted to kill Jesus. They took him to the edge of a cliff. They wanted to throw him off. And why were they so angry? Because Jesus was saying, God is the God of the outsider. God is the living God who wants us to bring people into a relationship with him. God is the God of peace. He wants to say to us, go in peace. Live your life in that relationship and friendship with us. You know, that opportunity is still there today where we can accept that peace that God gives. But it's for each of us to say yes to Jesus. Jesus, I want to follow you as my king. I want to accept that, that ministry that you've given me as that ambassador for you. So I pray this morning as we wrap up this message that you all can say yes to Jesus and yes to you, Jesus using you as that missionary and messenger to step into someone else's life. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, I thank you for the example of Naaman. I, I thank you that, that we can look at his life and just see how you are alive and impacting and changing lives. And we can look around us today and see how, how you're doing that even today right here at Journey Christian Church in Wayne, Nebraska. Father, I thank you that, that you continue to change lives. So, Lord, as we do, we, we give you the glory. And a, as we do, Lord, I pray for those men and women here today that, that hearts might be open to you, that hearts might be softened, that people might say yes to you, Lord, today. So, Lord, we pray this knowing that you are the God who hears our prayers. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.